All right, so we're back uh, after taking a week off for worship serve. We're back in here and we're going back into our series, You Are Here. We are in our, I believe, our fourth week on this, and we've uh, been taking a look at, at, at where we are in our lives, where we are in our families, our community, our relationships, and asking the question, what does it look like to be a Christian in that place, in that area, in that one spot? What does it look like to be a Christian in all of those different things? What does it look like to follow Jesus? What does it look like to follow Jesus in my relationships with my kids, with my spouse? What does it look like to live out my faith outside of the church? And what does it look like to to be a Christian in the world? And we're going to be looking at all these different things as we've covered that stuff. We're going to draw it to another place. As we ask the question, will we go where he leads? Today we're going to look at one more part that is essential to our identity as disciples of Jesus. So we've asked the question, what does it look like to be a disciple at home? We've asked the question, what does it look like to be a disciple in the world? And today we're going to ask the question, what does it look like to be a disciple or to be a Christian in the church? Now, if you're like many that go to church here in the South, then that question almost seems to be redundant. Like you're, you're saying the same thing over twice there. Now, after all, you're in church. So doesn't that mean by default you are a Christian? Doesn't that kind of check that box? What does it look like to be a Christian in church? It means you show up to church. That's what it looks like. That's, that's really all there is to it. That checks the Christian box and you're, you're good to go. What do you mean? What does it look like to be a Christian at church? You're at church. That, that's it. So, so long as you show up most Sundays, doesn't have to be all of them, but most Sundays, at least more than you don't, then you look like a Christian is supposed to look at church. You are fundamentally what you're doing right now, sitting where you're at, uh, watching, listening, what, whatever you, you would deem what you're doing right now, that is what a Christian does at church. So you're doing what it looks like to be a Christian at church. Perhaps you give a little bit of money, you, you, you just, you do what you know, the, the, the thing you're supposed to do just to make sure that you're here and you kind of check the boxes that need to be checked. From there, it's the pastor's job to make sure that you get a sermon that's worthy of you being here. It's the musician's job to make sure that you get music that's worthy of you being here. It's, it's everyone else's job to make sure that when you show up, you get what you came for and then you can walk away from that. As long as you're not up on the stage, as long as you're not doing certain things, all you've got to do is show up. That's what it means to be a Christian at church. Your job is to smile, awkwardly shake a hand in a greeting time, and get through that because nobody likes doing that part of it, and then you just keep on moving, uh, moving on from there. That's what it looks like. And for a huge portion of our culture, that is the default setting for being a Christian. At church. That's what a Christian looks like. And never mind what happens Monday through Saturday, but on Sunday, that's what a Christian looks like. They're at church, they're sitting, they're listening, they maybe sing a little bit, but they're here and they do those things. And it's one of the most convincing and damaging lies that Satan has told the church. And part of what makes this lie so terrible is that it robs Christians of what is intended to be one of their greatest sources of joy. 
It robs Christians. It takes away from Christians the primary tool in their toolbox that God has given us to help us get moving, to get unstuck, to grow as a Christian. If you believe that's what it looks like to be a Christian at church, then what you've lost is your primary place of joy, your primary, one of your primary sources of joy, and the most effective tool that you have. Anybody out here who works on something will tell you that any job gets a whole lot easier so long as you got the right tools. But if you don't have the right tools, then that job becomes a thousand times harder than it needs to be. And it's all because you, have, you don't have the right tools. But what Satan has convinced you is that church is not that important of a tool for you to have in your toolbox. Put that one over on the side. You don't need that one that much. And it is a lie that has robbed Christians of so much. It has taken from us one of the main things that God has given us to keep us from falling apart. You all tell your kids nursery rhymes and children's stories? Is that kind of part of what you guys do in your house? My dad to this day could not tell you a single mother goose nursery rhyme. He doesn't know any of them. I don't know if your family's well versed in those. If you do those at your house, my dad didn't know any of them. He's, he's forgotten all of them if he ever knew them in the first place. He just, we'll have a conversation and we'll reference something that comes from a mother goose. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never heard of that. Like it just completely goes over his head. It's like an inside joke that, that he just doesn't, he doesn't get at all. And I don't know what stories you tell your kids. I don't know what traditional stories that you guys have. But, you know, the classic, one of the classics is the three little pigs. I don't know if that's mother goose or not. It's probably not. But it's a classic kid's story. The big bad wolf wants to huff and puff and blow the house down of each one of the little pigs. One house made of straw, one of sticks, and one of bricks, one of stone. And what Peter's going to tell us today, in effect, is that if you buy Satan's lie, that all you have to do to be a Christian at church is just show up. If you buy Satan's lie, then you'll be building a house made of straw and stubble and sticks. But if you find a place and if you see your role and what you're doing here at church, not just on Sunday mornings, but what you're doing here overall, if you, if you see it as something so much better, so much more the way that God designed it, then your house will be rock solid. So let's look in 1 Peter chapter 2 and remember the context of what we've been looking at over the last few weeks. Peter's writing to a brand new community of Christians. New believers, almost every one of them. This Christianity thing hasn't even been around that long. So almost all of them are new Christians. They don't have Bibles that they can put in their hands. What Peter's writing to these Christians will become scripture that we're going to read. So they're, they're taking this in and they're, they're desperate for help in their situation. Because they're being persecuted as they convert to following Christ. They're being pressed in again. So Peter says you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. But the, the implication there is that they've done everything just short of that. Homes robbed, put in prison, jobs lost, everything that you can imagine that would go along with that. That's, what, that's where they're at. And they're, they're trying to figure out what do I do here? How do I sustain? How do I hold fast in all of this? You can imagine even for, for those of you that have been following Christ for a long time, you can imagine what it would feel like 
to, to, to live in a house that you feel like may be about to get blown over because you just don't know what's going on. You can imagine them in this place feeling like they've got a wolf that is blowing on their house. And they're trying to figure out how do they keep it upright. These new Christians facing persecution must have felt like they couldn't sustain. But here is Peter's exhortation. Here is what Peter tells them to do in order to sustain. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. He says, Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So we'll stop right there for a second. Peter starts out by telling them, hey, this is how you grow as Christians. And he gives them just some very basic things, how they can get started, how they can supplement themselves with what he calls spiritual milk that will help them to grow. And he gives them some basic instructions, put away malice, deceit, hypocrisy, slander, put away these things where you tear one another down, take those away. But then he moves to what it will look like whenever they start to grow. And the picture that he gives them of maturity is it centers around two different things. And he uses a building analogy to talk about what it would look like if you grow in Christ. And here's the building analogy that he gives. Verse 4. He says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for those of you who believe. But for those who do not believe, he's going to quote Scripture again, he says, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of of offense. So we'll stop there. So he says, as you come to him, that's in verse 4. You see that there at the very beginning of verse 4. As you come to him, or we could phrase that, as you grow as Christians, as you become more like him, as you change from what you were into becoming more like him. So that's what he's saying there. He, He says he wants to tell you two things that you need to know. So as you put away these things, as you continue to grow amidst the persecution that you have, here's the two things that you need to know. First, he talks about how Christ is a living stone. Christ is a living stone. And later he'll, and then he clarifies on down through there that it's not some random stone, random stone among a collection of beautiful stones. Jesus isn't just even the, the prettiest stone among a collection of other pretty stones. That's what some in our culture would have us believe. They would say that, oh, no, 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 all of these different teachers are great teachers. Maybe Jesus just shines a little bit brighter. Or maybe Jesus is, 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 is attractive in his own way, but this other teacher over here, this other religion over here, is attractive in its own way. But that's not how Peter says this. He doesn't say that Jesus becomes an attractive, polished stone. Instead, what he says, it is the chief cornerstone. The block upon which everything will be built. That is what Christ is to those who believe and to follow. But then he goes on to say that those who do not believe, 
That living stone becomes instead a stumbling block, a trip, a, 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 trip, a trip hazard, something that blocks their path, that keeps them from moving forward without tripping over it. It becomes the very thing that they can't get around, and it's continually in their way and standing in front of them. So that's the first thing that he tells you that you need to understand about Christ. As you grow in Christ, you will see him as your cornerstone, the one upon which everything in your life is built. Every aspect of your life is built upon that foundational cornerstone. And if you get away from that, then you're going to find yourself in trouble. You can't just say, Jesus is a a, a nice stone here, but this stone over here is pretty. And so when it comes to this, when it comes to my money, I'm going to let this stone over here be the one upon which I build things. Or this one over here, when it comes to uh, sexuality, this is where I'm going to build my stone. That's not the way that it works. Everything has to be built upon that one cornerstone. And then the second thing that he talks about is us becoming ourselves living stones. The same words that he uses to, to, to talk about Jesus, he talks about us as well, living stones. But we are not the cornerstone, we are instead laid upon the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. But we are not individual stones in a collection either. I don't, do any of your kids collect rocks? Any of you, especially any of you, like any of you moms with boys, like show of hands, just randomly find rocks in your dryer or like in your kids' pockets. Like where did that come from? I don't know what it is about boys and rocks, and I'm talking like gravel. Isaiah's got a collection of, of rocks that, that he's got, which actually he's got a pretty decent collection at this point where he's spent some money and he's got some really cool looking rocks. And then he's got others that it's like, you just picked that up by the driveway. Why did you bring that in? That is not particularly interesting or, or anything else. I don't understand. Why, but he's, he's got a lot. Like we had to put them in a big box this week and uh, figure out how to get them out of this floor so that we don't kill ourselves walking in his room. And uh, so he's got all these rocks. But here's the thing about all these cool-looking rocks. They will never be anything more than cool-looking rocks. That's all they're going to be. Because the way that they're shaped, the way that they're made, what they're designed for is that they sit there and they look cool. So he can display them as nice as he wants. He can, he can put them in a nice cabinet. He can put lights shining on them. He can make them look really, really great. But they're never going to be more than rocks. And listen, the vast majority of Christian literature that you will find out there today will tell you you're a beautiful rock and all you need to do is get the light shine on you just right, and you'll be fine. That is a lie from the devil. You are not meant to be an individual rock that shines more beautifully than the other rocks around you, or differently than the rocks around you. You We are not meant to be in here a collection of rocks. Are you following me on that analogy? Because the, the Western culture will tell you we are hung up on individualism. We are built on individualism. And what they will tell you is that as you sit out there in your place right here, you need to be a rock. You need to be rock solid. You need to be strong. And you need to be that way as an individual. Now maybe, maybe they might say as a family. But for the most part, what they're going to tell you is that you as individuals need to be a collection of individuals sitting out there that are just really cool rocks. And my job as a pastor is to maybe polish off a couple of rough edges 
and to shine the light just on you so that you'll know how pretty you are. That is not Christianity. That is not the vision that Peter has for us. You hear people say this, and they'll talk about this. The way that they'll say this is, yeah, 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 listen, I'm a Christian. I just don't need the church. I can read the Bible. I can study. I don't need a pastor to stand up there. I'm as smart as he is, probably smarter. But that's not the point. You don't come to church just so that you can be fed something that you didn't know. That's not the primary reason that you come to church. Did you know that? You don't come to church to sing things that you otherwise couldn't have sung otherwise. You can turn on the radio, you can listen to things, you can sing the same songs that we sing here. You see, that's not what we're doing here. That's not our goal. And it's ironic. The ones that say that they don't need the church, or that they they just need Jesus to be a Christian, they say they don't need the church, that logic fails them if you follow Peter's picture here. Because so long as they are just individual, so long as they're just rocks that are not built upon anything, they don't need Jesus anymore at all. Because Jesus isn't just another rock that would make them look better. He's the cornerstone upon which you build. But if you're just a rock, you don't need a cornerstone. You just need a shelf. You just need something to display you. And so whenever you don't become part of a church and you're not with a church, you miss out on that aspect of what it means to follow Christ because you're not building upon something else. I'll show you a little bit more what I mean as you keep going here. If you follow Peter's picture here, we as living stones become much more than rocks. We become a house. Do you you notice that? Like, if, if, if you're to drive by a house today, a brick house, right? When you drive by, do you, walk, do you, do you drive by and, be, and say, wow, it's a really nice bunch of bricks? That's not what you say, right? You see a cool house. You don't say, what great bricks those are. What you say is, that's a, that's a, that's a really pretty house. Because they're not bricks anymore. It's a house. The fundamental nature of the brick changes whenever it's built together with other bricks. Do you see how that works? Do you see how that changes? How things begin to shape at that point? In the picture that Peter's giving us, he says, you're not individual living stones. You're being built into a spiritual house, a fully formed home. We change from a single individual brick to a massive house. That is what the church is meant to be. That is how the church is meant to work. What a beautiful picture for us to consider this morning. What does a disciple look like at church? It doesn't look like a bunch of individuals that show up to be fed by a pastor and a band. It doesn't show up like a bunch of individuals that show up to uh, bring their kids so that their kids can get some spiritual nourishment while they're here. Not individuals and a bunch of rocks. That's not what we are here this morning. That's what Satan would love for you to believe that you are here this morning. But what Peter teaches us is that the more we grow in Christ, the more we will depend upon one another. Does that sound like a Christian growth plan to you? I wonder. 
Because that's not what growth is to most people. Growth to most people is, how do I wean myself off of needing other people? Not how do I give myself over to more people. To become a strong Christian for so many people is, teach me everything I need to know so that I don't need other people to teach me more. Give me more so that I can be stronger. That's the definition of growth in the church. That's the definition of growth in all of life. For so many people as individuals, we consider growth to be that moment when we don't need anyone else. That's what is the pinnacle of achievement. Where we can have enough money that we don't need money from anyone else. When we can have enough stuff that we don't need to borrow stuff from anybody else. When we can have enough degrees and education that we don't need to ask anyone else any other questions about things because we are the expert on those things. That's the picture of growth in America. When the going gets tough, we're able to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and make it happen. But the picture that Peter gives of a fully grown, fully formed Christian is almost the exact opposite. The more we grow in Christ the more we will need each other, and the more we will help each other. That's the picture of disciples that are following Jesus. So what does a disciple look like at church? That's a pretty good place to start. A disciple looks like somebody that needs others and that others need them. That's a good place to start. So what does that look like here at Providence? What does it look like to be a house here? It's not this physical building that we're sitting in. That's not what it looks like to be a house. It's awesome to have this building. I'm so glad that we don't have to set up and tear down chairs and all that other mess that we went through. You guys have almost already blocked that from your mind, haven't you? It's been like seven, eight months, and we're already like, what are you talking about? I don't remember doing that at all. So, but to be here, this is wonderful. And you got the, the bricks, and you got the, the drywall. You got all the stuff in here. But that's not what it looks like to be a church. It has nothing to do with it. What we do here on Sunday mornings... Is a church gathering together. Do you know we don't call this the 1030 service? We don't have church services here. Sometimes those words, because it's so common in the vocabulary, will slip out of our mouths and we'll say that kind of stuff sometimes. But in all honesty, we don't have church services. We have gatherings. This is a gathering of Providence Church. Because when you lead, the, the idea here is that you're not here in a service. We're not putting on something for you, for you to come and passively partake in or to uh, kind of ingest. We are the church that has come from, from all over the place, from, from Knoxville, from Newmarket, from Dandridge, from Morristown, from Jeff City, all over the place. We've come to this place and we've chosen 1030 Sunday mornings that the church will gather here in this place. And Providence Church will be here and be expressed this way. Here in just a few minutes, whenever we wrap things up, church won't be over. That's how we say it, right? What time what time's church gonna be over for you guys so you can make it so you can make it for lunch? What time's church gonna be over so we so you can beat beat everybody else to, to lunch? That's not how it works. Church isn't over whenever we're done. It's just the gathering is done. We go from the church gathered to the church scattered. That's the language we used to use a lot here. We don't say it quite as much anymore, but it's still true. We go from the church gathered to the church scattered. 
We gather here to, on Sunday mornings in order to pray, to sing, to celebrate, to study, to give ourselves corporately over to the worship of God. But we also gather here so that we can be with, it, with others. But you didn't come to church this morning. The church came together this morning. Do you see the difference in those two things? And do you know why we do that? Do you know why we choose to gather here? Because I need you. Because you need me. Because you need each other. That's why we choose to gather. Because the person in front of you and the person behind you needs you to be here. You may not even know their name. But they need you to be here. Because you need the nursery worker. Because a lot of you need the person that brewed the coffee this morning. You know what I'm saying? You need those things. That's why we gather. Not because we're supposed to, but because God tells us through his words that if we are growing disciples, we need each other. Sometimes you need each other because you need a cup of coffee. But, I mean, in all honesty, you could go to 60 Beans across the street, and you could get coffee, and your pocket would be a little bit lighter. But you could get your coffee, right? So you don't just come here for the coffee. You come here for something more than that. You come here to sing a song and to pray a prayer. Sing a song like, Christ be all around me. Because some days that prayer comes out of you, that song comes out of you like rushing water. And there's other days that you'll come in here and you hear that song and you can barely vocalize it because you can't figure out where, where God is at all in your situation at the moment. And yes, you would love for Christ to be all around you, but you can't see him in that moment. So you come. And what happens when you come is you, you stand maybe somewhere over there and everybody starts singing that song. And, and, and what you see is that this, this lady over here who you know is struggling with infertility is singing, Christ be all around me with all she's got because she needs it so desperately. And that this other guy who just lost his job, he's singing, Christ be all around me, be above me and below me, be before me and behind me, because he knows he can't control his situation, and he needs Christ to be there for that. You see the other guy who's just gone through a divorce or who has a, 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 a marriage that you know is struggling, and he's pouring out his heart, and he's weeping because he needs Christ so desperately. And then in seeing that and seeing those people, you then are spurred on to say, you know what, I don't know know where he's at, but these guys, they need Christ and I need him too. And you're spurred on by their faith. And then there's other days whenever it's the other way around. When you're singing it and you don't give a second thought to it because you know how true it is in your life. And that same guy that just a few weeks ago spurred you on is looking at you. And saying, I need that faith. I believe, help my unbelief. And you, and what you do, and how you serve, you're the one that helps his unbelief. Have you ever thought about that in that prayer? It's one of my favorite prayers in all of Scripture. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. For the longest time, I thought the way that that worked is he prayed, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And that God would be like, poof, you believe more. But you know how sometimes that works? Somebody says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And then you say, hey, how are you doing? Would you like to go get some coffee? 
And that's how God helps their unbelief. Would you like to come to our house for a front porch? We're, we're, we're having some barbecue tonight. We'd love to have you. And that's, that's what helps their unbelief. Or, hey, you'll never know what your kids said this morning in Sunday school. It was amazing. It blessed me tremendously. And that helps their unbelief. That's the way it's meant to work. Not that you get stronger because you know more and you don't need more people, but because you need people so desperately. And whether you know it or not, they need you too. And you're spurred on and you're challenged and you're encouraged and you're helped. That's the church. That's why you don't come to church and church isn't going to be over here soon. Because you are the church and you need each other. We need each other for things that we can't even express in our own hearts and with our own words, but we know is true. We gather together here so that you can put yourself in a position where you need to be served and so that you can put yourself in a position where you can serve others too. Sure, you can stay at home and study the Bible all you want, but then, and, and then you're not going to need to be served by anyone. You can handle your own coffee, and you can sit there, and you can open, and you can take your Instagram snapshot of your Bible and your coffee, and you're good. Everybody will think you're a great Christian. You don't need to be served, but then you also can't serve others that way. But when you come to church, you need to be served. You need somebody to turn on the air conditioning. You need somebody to, to come here and to put these chairs out, to sing some songs, to preach a sermon. And you get served in 20 different ways when you walk in the door this morning and you didn't even know you needed to be served that way or that you were served that way. And that's a blessing. And that's how it's supposed to be. And then you should be in turn looking around and saying, now how can I serve others? How can I serve them? And there's so many different ways. There's so many different places that we can plug you in whether it's a building team, the nursery, a greeting team to welcome folks, tech team, come up here and sing. All of those things are ways that you can serve. If you're being served this morning, and if you're here, you are, then know at some point you will need to return that service too. It's okay to take a breath, to take a season where you just say, "I, I can't give a lot right now. But overall, You need to be ready to return that service because that's what it looks like to be a growing Christian. So let me ask you, what does it look like for you to be a disciple here at Providence Church? What do you need to do? Where is God calling you to serve? Where do you need to let down your pride and be willing to be served? Maybe you need to ask for help. Maybe you need to be able to find someone and say, listen, I just need you to pray for me. That's okay. That's wonderful. Or maybe you need to go up to somebody and just say, hey, how can I pray for you? What does it look like for you to be a disciple here at Providence? There's other ways that it looks like to be a disciple here at church too. We gather here on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week we gather in so many other places as as well. This is what we call our front porch communities. And what we mean by that, it's a place just like a a front porch used to serve. It's a place to gather. For you to be able to go and to talk, to get to know others, to share a meal, to break bread together. 
And you join a front porch community and you just go and you eat and you hang out and you talk. And that's how you serve one another, by just being around one another, by showing up at someone's house and breaking bread together. Over this uh, next week, you're going to get emails talking about our front porch communities and talking about the front porch community leaders that we have. We've got a new group that's launching out towards New Market, Knoxville area. We've got a group that meets towards Dandridge and, and kind of the edge of Jeff City out here. Uh, around the high school, we've got a group that meets here in the heart of Jeff City. We've got a group that meets out towards Morristown. We've got groups that are there and ready for you to be a part of. If you only come here on Sunday mornings, you miss out on a huge, huge part of who Providence is. Join a front porch community. Be a part of one of those. Make sure you fill out a, a form and that we've got your email address. And then we'll email out all kinds of information with schedules, pictures, everything you need to know about the front porch communities where you can show up. No agendas. Doesn't have to be awkward. You show up and eat some food. Hang out together. And then from there, you get plugged into discipleship groups, these smaller groups of three to four to five people where you can pray and you can talk and you can get to know one another and you can find out what your real struggles are, the things you can't share with mixed company or in large groups. And then you can really serve each other in ways that, frankly, our culture discourages because you really get to know and be a part of one another's lives. That's how we do it here at Providence. You want to know how we become a spiritual house and how we depend on one another? That's how we do it. We need each other. I need you, you need me. And that's the way that it works. And that's how you become a living stone that's built into a spiritual house. This morning, if you don't know Christ, if you've not built your life upon that cornerstone, I invite you to take that first step to quit trying to be the best individual person you can be, but instead to build your life upon him. You can see we have the elements out here to take the Lord's Supper. We're going to do that here in just a second. I would ask if you're a Christian, the table would be open to you. If you're not a Christian, I would ask that you just please abstain. You can sit, you can pray quietly, you can consider uh, what it is that maybe God is speaking to you, telling you today. Parents, please uh, just work with your kids as you need to. But the whole reason that we are doing this, we're celebrating the Lord's Supper, is because we want to celebrate the one who died to, for the church, who is the cornerstone. Through his death and his resurrection, he saved and he made the church. So we're going to take these elements here in just a second. I just want to urge you this morning to consider what else it would look like for you to be a disciple at home, in the church, in the world, in your job, in your relationships? What does it look like for you? And then consider the one who is the foundational cornerstone of the church, Jesus Christ, and how his body was broken and his blood was spilled for us. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you this morning that you have not saved us to our own individual identities, that you have not left us to our own, that you have not made us individual uh, people who are, are just about our own thing, but instead you have built us into something more. Where the sum of our parts is so much greater than what we are as individuals. Father, I pray that our lives would be built upon the cornerstone. 
that as this house is built that we call Providence Church, that it would be built upon the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. And Father, may we celebrate the death and the resurrection of Jesus this morning in a way that is worthy of the life that is given for us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.